another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and as always, this program is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. I want to start off today by apologizing to my listeners. I had hinted that I had big news that I was wanting to share uh, last week. You know, the, I did episode two weeks ago about quarantine in the 100 Club, and in that episode, I hinted I had some news to share that I would share the following week. Well, few things didn't work out quite right, and so I wasn't able to break the news, but I'm going to do it today. I am nervously excited about what I have to share with you. A big announcement from my part, uh, kind of the, the culmination of a whole lot of work I get to unleash. And uh, with that in mind, uh, I will give you a teaser. As I was preparing to to do this episode today, a passage of scripture came to mind that said, Judge not that you be not judged, for with this judgment you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, what I have done traditionally on this program is I critique books. I give you the pros and the cons, and I hope that as I've done that, I've been fair to other authors. I've been gracious towards them and had at heart a search for truth. I hope that always comes across And I ask that you would do that towards me now as I've written a book. I've taken off my critic's hat, and I've picked up my spoon, and I'm I'm ready to eat some humble pie here as you get to now critique the work that I've put before you. I have a book that you can find on my website now today for the first time. It's called Covenant Faithfulness. The subtitle is An Examination of Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. This has been a project I've worked tirelessly on for the last couple of months, and I'm really excited, though I would say a little bit reserved excitement, to share this with you and to put this in your hands. I hope this will do good things in the brotherhood, that this will glorify God, and that his word will be upheld. I want to deal with three questions today as I talk about my book. First, I want to ask the question, why this book? And secondly, how did it come about? What was the process? And number three, what does it contain ultimately within the book? So we'll go ahead and we'll talk first about why this book. Of all books, why this one? Why did I write it? Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14, which is the focus of this book, Covenant Faithfulness. It's a difficult passage that I believe for a long time has been neglected in the teaching of the church. I say that of myself and in the congregations where I have been. I've taught on this, but it's been some years ago. And as a result of that neglect, it's it's remained in somewhat a bit of obscurity. And in the midst of our current pandemic situation, it has been brought front and center and thrust into the middle of the debate about how the church should respond during our pandemic. Should we cancel worship services, and is Matthew 12, particularly verse 7, 
When Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is that justification for the cancellation of services uh, once or even for a protracted period of time? Within this passage, you have several difficulties. You have the difficulty of Jesus' statement that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? What does he mean by it uh, contextually when he utters it? You have the difficult story of David and the showbread. Was David justified in what he did in eating of the showbread, or was he wrong? What type of point is Jesus making off of that narrative that's difficult? And then later on, you have the, st- the scene of the ox in the ditch as Jesus heals a lame man on the Sabbath day. And so within this short 14 verses, you have three complex, challenging passages that are all lumped together and make for a difficult read. Uh, when I first heard Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, when I first heard that quoted uh, by one of our brethren and brought into the discussion about the pandemic, I, I wasn't really clear on what the brother meant. In, st- in fact, I'm still not. I haven't ever got any clarification on that. But uh, other brethren have picked up that statement, and they have been more clear about what they meant by it. And this is being used to argue at least at times, that mercy trumps the necessity of sacrifice. And that's something that needs to be considered. Like many, when that was first presented, I had to step back and take it in, try to understand what is being said, and then I had to sit down with my Bible and my study tools and begin asking, what is this passage teaching? It's it's asserted very uh, simplistically that you can set aside worship in the name of mercy, and that's that's what's required. And I had to ask, is that what this passage is teaching? I made several discoveries along the way that I'll share with you. First of all, I discovered there's a wide range of positions held by all kinds of scholars and brethren alike as to the meaning of what Jesus is teaching in this passage, Matthew 12, verse 1 through 14. And they can't all be correct. They conflict with one another a lot. There are There is a wide variety of interpretations, and they cannot all be correct. That's, that's a big challenge. Number two, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14 is not a simple passage. It's quite complex, actually. There's more going on beneath the surface than I at first realized was happening there. And the positions that are taken often either assume or assert much of what they state and do not deal fully with everything that's going on in the passage. And so that's that's quite dif- difficult to weed through as well. And then thirdly, as I'm studying along and I'm researching, some of what I had previously believed about the passage, quite frankly, did not add up. And so it was a challenge to reassess and to try to be honest and critique what is taking place in the passage. Thus, I, I, I started chasing rabbits down holes, and I felt like the, the more I chased a rabbit, the more holes you discovered, and the more rabbits seemed to be in the holes. And it was a very challenging study, to say the least. There's three terms that come to mind when I think about uh, the research that was involved in writing Covenant Faithfulness. Uh, first of all, it was an, an enlightening experience. I felt like I learned a lot about the Gospel of Matthew. I learned a lot about the Old Testament, particularly in the books of Samuel and Hosea. It was very challenging, and when I say it was challenging, I mean uh, it was a grueling, intense endeavor. Uh, there was very little sleep that was had. It was um, it ver- very much so consumed me for the better part of a month just in the research. 
yet it was a very rewarding study as well. And I, I have benefited from it greatly. I, I hope that in a small way, others will benefit uh, from what I have done. I hope that it will be a blessing to the brotherhood. Uh, but it's been a very rewarding endeavor for me thus far in my personal studies and my personal enlightenment. Eventually, after I did all my research, I wrote uh, what was an 18-page article uh, about my kind of a summation of my findings and what my position was. I had to formulate my position. I put it down on paper. And I didn't know what I was going to do with that at first, but I decided I was going to send it uh, to several readers and have them critique it. And what I did was I chose uh, carefully some friends whom I trusted. Uh, some of them were gospel preachers. Some of them were just congregational leaders. And there were some criteria that I, I kind of set for myself in sending it to them. First of all, they had to be trustworthy. I had to have confidence in them that they had my interest at heart and the Brotherhood's interest at heart. Uh, secondly, I want to make sure that they were good Bible students. Um, I wanted to make sure they had a background that they could properly assess and critique what I had written. I didn't want people who would simply agree with me, but I wanted brethren who would challenge me where I needed to be challenged. They would be able to correct me. They'd be able to put, point out weaknesses or flaws or, or point out areas where I need to do some more work or expand my writing. And I also needed brethren who would maintain confidentiality, and as they critiqued me, they would do so in a spirit of love. They, I don't mind having disagreements and discussions with brethren when they're not... Uh, hateful, <laughs> and I don't. I don't like confrontation. I don't. I don't like hateful disputes. I like to have Bible conversations, even with people with whom I disagree, if we can do so in a brotherly sort of manner. And to that end, I want to say a big thanks to all of the brethren. You know who you are. Uh, thanks to everyone who read through my initial articles and subsequent renditions of that, offered critique. I I, I can say honestly that it strengthened. Uh, my resolve. It strengthened my position. It showed a lot of areas where I needed to do more work. I needed to do a better job. I needed to offer clarification. Uh, it, it helped me out tremendously, and I appreciate very much all the the work that brothers have put into making this book possible. As a disclaimer here, um, when I started out writing, it was meant to be that. It was meant to be an article. I, I did not have an intention of writing a book. I've never written a book before. But as it all developed and evolved, so to speak, and Brethren kept writing with questions or critiques or disagreements or whatever, uh, the material started to grow to the point where it turned into a book that I have in my hands now that this, this particular formatting that I have is about 110 pages long. Um... There were two underlying challenges just beyond the nature of the research and the writing, which uh, writing is a challenge for me. I, uh, it's something I, I don't overly enjoy doing. I'm a little bit self-conscious about it. I hope that some of the brethren who have cr critiqued and have, have helped supply some insights and some editorial work done along the way that they have polished it up and made it better. I know that they have. Uh, the, the shortcomings that are in the writing are my own. I don't blame those on anybody except for myself. I had a critic one time who said, he said, Nathan, you're, you're a terrible, awful writer. And uh, that's, that's probably true. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, I hope that I can be logical in my discussion. I hope that logic will come through. I hope the truth will shine forth. Uh, I don't claim to be 
a, a great writer, but I hope it will still have benefit. But beyond the challenges of just the research and the writing and all the discussion that took place, I had two other challenges in this project. First of all, my daughter got sick right in the middle. I mean, right in the thickest part. I was heavily involved in writing. Um, I'm getting like four hours of sleep per night, and all of a sudden my daughter gets sick, and she goes in the hospital. She's in the hospital for five days, and I had to. I, I went down, and she and I stayed in the hospital together. They wouldn't let both me and my wife be there. They wouldn't even let us switch out more than just one time, and so I was in there for the duration, and that that somewhat hampered my ability to, to get the book done and completed. I'm, I'm not complaining about that. I'm glad that we had great uh, health care for my daughter and that everything seems to be doing right. She had some abscesses on her kidney that are improving. Uh, but anyway, that, that did throw a monkey wrench, you might say, into the whole production of the book, and it caused it to be a lot slower in coming out than what I had originally hoped. And then second of all, once every all the writing was done, I was ready to go to print with it. I had a challenge of finding a company that could print it in a timely manner. It started off, I was initially going to publish with Ingram Sparks, but Ingram Sparks took over five days of even initially contacting me and after I submitted my manuscript and realized I wanted to make a couple little tweaks, you're going to have a restart time each time of five days. And then after everything was finalized with the print company, it was going to be 22 days before they ever printed anything. And then you're looking at another two weeks before you will receive any copies. So we would be like two week, two months out into the future of getting this done. So I switched over to Amazon. I was going to do it with Kindle Direct Publishing, and I started getting some of the same treatment there. It's very unclear what time of time scale they were on. And so I went back to a company that I've used before in Lulu.com, and they were able to get things rolling. Uh, it's a little more expensive, more of an investment to go with Lulu, but uh, the book is out now, and for that I'm very thankful. And the final assessment of the whole process, I would say it was very challenging, it was consuming, and it was a humbling experience that I'm thankful is now completed, at least completed for the most part, and I'm, I'm happy to have this before you now and be able to share this book with you. My excitement about my book Covenant Faithfulness is somewhat tempered because of the nature of the topic and the current state of both our nation and our brotherhood. And the best word I can use to describe my mindset in writing and publishing this book is the word concerned. I'm concerned about how brethren will receive the book. In the midst of our current pandemic, it's a very emotional time and situation for people in our society and also for brethren within the church. And we have a lot of times a, a little bit of a hypersensitivity for all of the issues surrounding this pandemic. I say this because I've seen people in society, people on the news, people on Facebook, even brethren, who have been very emotionally outspoken on one side or the other of the pandemic, as even when we're talking about from a biblical spiritual standpoint. I've seen brethren behave in ways that are not becoming of a Christian. In fact, ways I just call downright sinful as they lashed out towards other brethren with whom they disagreed. I'm not naive enough to think that I won't, I will be able to avoid all of that. That concerns me. With that being the case, writing about the one of the heart issues of the disagreements amongst our brethren about Matthew chapter 12, verse 7 in particular, I'm concerned about how that will be 
taken. I realize I'm not going to convince everybody of my position. I'm not naive enough to think that. I'm also not naive enough to think that everybody will receive it warmly in all quarters. But I want to say this. I want you to hear this clearly. My intent in writing covenant faithfulness has not been to anger any of my brethren or to issue personal attacks towards anyone. I've written out of a very sincere love for my brethren and concern for the truth, recognizing the very difficult circumstances that we're facing right now. This is something that you you don't realize is going to happen. You can't really prepare for this moment fully. It takes you by surprise. It has been a very difficult moment for all who are involved. And I'm very well aware of that. And I hope that in my writing I can convey that concern and come across in a way that is not uh, overly offensive. Please do not mistake my conviction as I write with arrogance, indifference, or callousness. I am very much concerned for our brethren as a whole and for this difficult situation, and I want to try to, to shed some light on a passage that I think does have a lot of application here. I'm also concerned, and primarily concerned, I would say, with how Scripture is currently being used and the long-term ramifications of some of the arguments that are being raised, particularly those arguments that are raised from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. To be honest, ultimately, I am more concerned with the integrity of God's Word than I am with how I will be perceived or received. God's Word, His truth has to be our sole focus, our sole motivation, our driving force. It's what equips us for every good work. His truth has to be our aim, our goal, our everything. And I've written out of concern for his truth, and I hope that becomes apparent in the work that I've put forth. I don't like conflict. I don't like confrontation with brethren, but I won't avoid either at the expense of truth. If what I have written is true, take it and use it and apply it. If what I've written is wrong, contend with it and reject it. And I say that in all sincerity. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, or criticisms, feel free to send them to me. You can send them to me at christianresearcher at gmail.com. Again, that is christianresearcher at gmail.com. I don't promise to reply to everyone, but I will consider what you have to say if you send it. I say that with all sincerity. So lastly, I want to talk about what is contained within the book. Uh, The foreword of the book is written by Brother Cullen Smith, and I want to thank Cullen personally for having agreed to write the foreword for his uh, critique of my material, his insights, and his support of the book. On the back cover, there's also an endorsement from A.K. Richardson, who's a very good friend of mine. I really appreciate the work that he did in the editing process, uh, correcting a lot of my uh, poor grammar and giving me some insight scripturally as well. He's a great Bible student. I really appreciate his help. And also from Brother Brandon Stevens, there's an endorsement on the back cover from Brother Brandon Stevens, who I want to say a particular thanks to, and um, you're in my thoughts and prayers right now, Brother. For those who don't know, Brother Brandon uh, suffered a stroke uh, this last week, 
and is recovering well from that, for which we are very thankful, but we continue to have him in our thoughts and prayers. I love you, brother, and hope that you have a speedy, full recovery at this time. Thanks very much for what you did in supporting the book and for your critiques and insights as well. After the forward, I have an acknowledgement, a preface, and an introduction. In the introduction, I list a number of questions. I believe there's about 16 questions that cover, that kind of reinforce the scope of the complexity of the book and give you a feel for what we're trying to cover and answer as a whole. One of the things that was suggested to me by a brother who read through my manuscript was he suggested uh, writing to two different audiences. He said something to the effect of that, he said, you need to think about who you're writing for. If you're writing for a church leaders or preachers, I think the format's good. If you're uh, writing for the average person in the pew, he says, I think you need to dumb this down to where a 13-year-old could read it and understand it and cut the material in half or more. I took that to heart. And so I've structured the book in two parts. The first part of the book is geared towards the average person. And I have written in a uh, simplified manner, and maybe an overly simplistic manner in some points. There's not going to be answers to every question that you want to raise in the first part of the book, and that's intentional. I've tried to give a condensed assessment of all that's on the table in discussing Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14 in chapter 1. In chapter 2, I divide Matthew 12, 1 through 14 into four layers. We have the David and the priest layers. We have the Hosea 6, 6 quotation or the I desire and mercy and not sacrifice layer. You have the layer of what I would call the divine Messiah. And then you also have the layer of the ox and the ditch. After discussing those four layers in chapter 3, I get into a general application of what's contained in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. And then I talk about our current crisis the pandemic in particular, the COVID-19 pandemic, and I address the issue of how the church should respond at this moment. All that's in chapter 4. In the second part, again, I try to flesh out some of what I've introduced in the first part of the book. In chapter 5, I give a big-picture view of Matthew and the Old Testament, how Matthew is overly concerned with his usage of the, of the Old Testament and what is all going on in the big picture within Matthew chapters 11 and 12. I call that setting the scene. I bring up the accusations that are leveled against Jesus and also take a look at the synoptic views of this moment. In chapter 6, I address the question of David and the showbread. I present uh, five different positions, that four of which are commonly held, and then I present my own material. I ask the question if David lied to Ahimelech, Whenever he arrives on the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 21, I talk about how he requested the showbread and what all was included in that. I give a summation of my presentation, of my position, and then ask the question, why does it matter? In chapter 7, I've entitled chapter 7, Tactics, where I begin to assess some examples and ask who's on trial in the scene between Jesus and the Pharisees. In chapter 8, I take a, a kind of a bird's eye view of Hosea chapter 6. I want to address Hosea as a whole, give you a big picture structure of what's going on in the book of Hosea. Take a look at Hosea chapter 6 in particular. Then I deal with verses 1 through 3, and I ask the question, what uh, messianic tie does this have to the life and the mission of Christ? 
And then I deal with Hosea chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, and in particular spend quite a bit of time dealing with the Hebrew word hesed, which is translated as mercy. In chapter 9, I deal with Matthew's use of Hosea chapter 6 because he deals with it in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. He deals with it again in Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, and then he deals with it finally in our passage of focus in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7. In chapter 10, I answer objections that some may have to the material I have presented uh, regarding Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Uh, The first objection that people may have is the use of Matthew's use of the word Elios rather than the Hebrew word has said, and then the a common position that Jesus is teaching something that Hosea never had in mind. In chapter 11, I deal with the ox in the ditch argument in greater uh, length than I did in the introduction. In chapter 12, I deal with a chapter called Pandora's Box, which talks about the ramifications of the argumentation from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. And then in chapter 13, I do an expanded edition of our current crisis assessment and how the church should respond. So I hope that gives you a little bit of background and feel for the material that is covered and all that goes into this book, the process, and my mindset in presenting it. I hope that you will give it a fair read, a fair shake, that it will be a blessing And again, if you have questions, critiques, concerns, whatever, send them to me, christianresearcher at gmail.com. You can go to our website, christianresearcher.com, and you can pick up a copy today in the bookstore. We have a lot of copies on hand, and we will get those out in the mail uh, very quickly to you. So pick up a copy today, uh, take a read, share it with friends, give me your feedback. I appreciate it. God bless, and God bless the Brotherhood this difficult time. The praise is yours alone, you're worthy, worthy of all. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty to save. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty ever almighty